So I got my mic attached to my face. So that'll be... Oh, that was weird. All right, so let me give a couple uh, things as we get started. Um, I, too, have a trivia game for us. I, too, have been given a prize. That means you won it, right? Any free shakes at the, at the shake shop, right? Those are awesome. So what you really want to win for is bragging rights. You want to be able to humiliate the people around you, amen? Amen. It's what Jesus would do. All right. Um, but I want to I start out, for those of you that were here this morning, did anything stand out to you from the morning message? Was there anything that pinged for you that, as opposed to just going, oh, that's interesting, but actually something that mattered to you? Anything that was shared in the message? Yes, ma'am. Yes. The 40-year increments of life where God had this interesting planned out process. Moses knew nothing about it. And yet God was going, yep, here we go. Here we go. Yes, sir. Amen. To be called by God, you got to be in relationship with God. It's so interesting because I was, I actually added it to my phone the other day. I was thinking about the hierarchy of purpose. I think everybody wants their lives to matter. I don't think anybody doesn't. I think that there's a lot of purpose out there. And I was saying that the highest level of purpose is divine purpose. I think the next level down would be noble purpose. Let's say, for example, you were able to give your life for someone else. That is a noble purpose. And I think that in humanity, that would probably be their highest. We have a higher level. And it's divine purpose. You cannot achieve divine purpose without a personal relationship with God. That's where it all begins. Anybody? Yes, sir. Crush his head. Yeah. 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 What he was highlighting was the idea of God's providence that God had set out in a long time past. We have all these biblical prophecies that would say, well, this was going to happen. And when God says it, that's a lock. But he would shout out different things into the spirit, and then we end up kind of following through on him. So he mentioned Joseph right off the bat. Last time I was here, it was 2019, I taught on the life of Joseph. So we actually have walked through, and you say, well, the whole idea that he was a deliverer. Joseph's life was horrible. 
He had one bad thing after another bad thing after another bad thing, but ultimately God was using him, a very highly gifted man, he used him to rescue the people and get them into Egypt. Why? Knowing full well that there would be a process if he would keep them contained, they would multiply like little bunnies. And then he would have a whole nation. And then all of a sudden, things went bad. Why? Because they needed a deliverer to step in again. That's when Moses comes in. All these are the providence of God. He was calling out just now. He was saying all the way back into the Garden of Eden, the providence of God was called out. And he said, you know what? The serpent, right, that just messed everything up for you. He will bruise your heel, but you will crush his head. The idea that there is a lineage weaving through. When we look at the Bible, we kind of say, oh, that must be a place like Narnia. Do you understand Bible is just history? It's earth history. These are real people doing real things. And we look at the Bible and we kind of make it imaginary when in fact these are regular folks just like you and me. The Bible is still being written. We're it. You know, we read the Acts of the Apostles and we're like, wow, those were real people trying to figure out church. They had this incredible power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what to do. They were a mess. And we're still a mess, but we're still the people of God. And as long as the people of God, the remnant we were talking about, as long as the people of God are here, God is doing marvelous and wonderful things here on this planet. You're a part of that process. And so I, I'm just so excited to be able to, to talk to you. God is my favorite. So I'm going to try to contain myself, but I love, love God, love people. Love the Bible. I'm kind of a, a Bible fanatic. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a fun Moses in Egypt quiz. Everybody should have a piece of paper. If you didn't get a piece of paper or something to write on, I need you to raise your hand and we have to solve this problem. All right, Mr. King, you need a piece of paper there? There you are. Oh, a pencil. By the way, these pencils have erasers. I'm very excited about this. I've never seen baby pencils with erasers before. There you are, sir. Golf pencils don't have erasers. All right, there we go. Those are all for, from Mr. Jason King. There's a couple more in front, Jay. Uh, now, we're going to do uh, a quiz, and as I said, not only is it bragging rights, but there's a shake on the line, all right? In these, in these trying times of economic difficulty, we all need a shake to get us through, amen? All right, praise the Lord. All right, so that is up for it. Now, here's what's uh, intriguing about this. Uh, how many of you would say you know the story of Moses pretty well? Raise your hand. Everybody know the story of Moses? Anybody know the story of Moses? All right. Has anybody not heard the story of Moses? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Not just for a pencil. Okay, so everybody has, has said that they know the story of Moses. So I'm going to cut to the chase. We're going to begin by quizzing you on the entire story right? Because I think you know the story. You'll notice in this morning's message, I did not preach the one part of the story that pops, right? There's a way to move a congregation. There's a way to get people's attention. And one of the best preaching passages of all time is the call of Moses and his resistance. You'll notice that I just kind of tra tracked on it, clicked on it, moved on. Why? Because I feel that a lot of us are highly biblically literate, and what that means is you've probably heard that message a couple times. The minute I get into it, you go into autopilot. You check out on me. So what we're going to do is I'm going to find out ultimately where you're at on this, and I'll know where I need to sink in and where I need to skip over. We're going to be grabbing 
five books of the Bible and going through them in five pieces. And it's going to go really fast. It's like a fire hydrant. So let's begin. You need to write on your paper 1 through 20. There are 20 questions to this. I can guarantee you no one will get all 20. Now, that, of course, is to all of you that are competitive, it was like, oh, really? I understand. But it's fixed. I'm just going to let you know. It's fixed. Um, so I have five questions that are easy difficulty, so I'm going to get you warmed up and make you feel confident. Then we're going to go into 10 on medium difficulty, and you're going to go, ooh, see, I am smarter than the person next to me. And then we're going to hard for four questions, and there's an impossible difficulty question at the end, all right? Here we go. So you're going to have to write down number one, and you're going to write your answer, all right? Now, these are all on the honor system. If you cheat in a church Bible quiz, there is a new level of hell for you, all right? So we are not going to cheat on the Bible quiz. This is all honor system. Here we go. We're going to start out very calmly. Don't call these out. Write these down. If you call them out, someone steals your shake. Here we go. Number one, write down the answer to this. God guided the people with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of what by night? Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of what by night? It's just one word. Write that down, number one. If you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even get number one. It starts with the letter F. Okay, cool. I just want everyone to feel good about themselves, all right? They're like, frost. No, that's not, it's not frost. Okay, number two. How many plagues did God bring on Egypt to force the exodus? It's between the numbers of 1 and 11. <laughs> I'm really trying to be nice to you, okay? All right, we're supposed to have fun with this. Write that down. What's that number? How many plagues did God bring on Egypt to force the exodus? That's a famous one. All right, number three. What's the name of the body of water that Israel crossed escaping from Egypt? The blank sea. <laughs> All right, are we good? Everyone getting these? Okay, good, good, good. And some of you are like, ha, ha, child, I don't need this help. All right. Number four, what is the king of Egypt more commonly called? King of Egypt more commonly called. Bet you don't write A before O. <laughs> it's really hard to spell this guy's name. All right. Number five. Who was Moses' speaker for him when he went before the king of Egypt? All right. It's a person's name. Starts with two vowels. Okay. Okay, now those are the easy ones. Those are five. Everybody doing okay? Yeah, anybody think they got five out of five? Oh, all right, all right. Here we go. By the way, we're going to score real fast. I just want you to feel good about yourself. Ready? Answer number one, God guided with people of pillar of cloud by day and pillar of... Fire, yes, excellent. Number two, how many plagues? Ten, excellent. Number three, uh, what body of water did they cross? The Red Sea, excellent, not the Dead Sea. Ah, careful. Number four, what was the king of Egypt known as? Pharaoh, excellent. Anybody do the A before O or the O before A on that one? All right, that's okay. Number five, who spoke for Moses? Aaron, all right. So, everybody feels pretty confident. Let's move into medium. Here we go. Number six, write down. Number six, how old was Moses when he was called back to Egypt? It's where I finished the story this morning in the sermon. Think in 40-year increments. <laughs> All right, number seven. 
What did Pharaoh force the Hebrew slaves to make bricks without? By the way, I'm not going to help you anymore because a shake is on the line. This is where we separate the women from the girls. I don't know how that goes. Okay. Number eight. What was the area where the Hebrews lived in Egypt called? (laughs) It happened to be mentioned earlier. Number nine. During the terrible plague of hail, it was accompanied by two other elements from the sky. What were they? Oh, not so sure about yourself, are you? During the terrible, I'm sorry, I'm repeating the question, number nine. During the terrible plague of hail, it was accompanied by two other elements from the sky. What were they? Blank and blank. Number 10. How old is the lamb that is supposed to be sacrificed for Passover? If your answer is 13, that's an old lamb. It's not it. I'll just say he's a little guy. Number 11, during Passover, how long should Israel eat unleavened bread? This is starting to get hard, isn't it? If you guys know this stuff, you are Bible nerds, right? Me too. Number 12, what did Moses and Miriam do after Pharaoh's army was drowned in the Red Sea? They did one particular action. What did they do? Number 13, how many miraculous signs were Pharaoh's magicians able to duplicate? There were 10 plagues. How many could they copy with their own dark arts? You're like, I didn't even know they could do it. Okay, glad you're here. And if you're not familiar with the Bible and you think people know all these answers, they do not. Feel better about yourself. Number 14. From which direction did the strong wind blow to dry out the ground from the Red Sea for crossing? From what direction? You have four choices. North, south, east, or west. Which direction did the wind come to dry out the water so Israel could cross over on dry land? It says it a bunch of times, that's why. Number 15. Whose bones did Moses take with him out of Egypt? Which is totally creepy, by the way brought some dead guy's bones. Okay, now those were all medium difficulty. We're moving on to 16, you ready? 16, we're in hard difficulty. How many days of leave did Moses initially ask Pharaoh for to go into the wilderness to sacrifice to God? I'll say that again. How many days of leave Did Moses initially ask Pharaoh for to go into the wilderness to sacrifice to God? He did not start out by saying, let us all go away forever. That's not how the story starts. Okay? Number 17. What did Moses' wife Zipporah, who we mentioned earlier, what did she do to stop God from killing Moses? Anybody know that God was going to kill Moses? His wife saved his bacon. Anybody know what she did? Number 18, 
How many Hebrews marched out with, uh, with Moses of the exodus from Egypt? How many Hebrews marched out with Moses in the exodus from Egypt? All right. So we're going to pause right here. We got two more questions. Yeah, 19 and 20. I'm going to give you the answers up to now, honor system, find out how many are right, and we're going to find out what we're getting this nailed down to, all right? We're going to come down to a couple Bible nerds that are going to have to show down, okay? Here we go. All right, let's back up. Number six, how old was Moses when he was called back to Egypt? 80, right? In 440, 40, 40, all right? 80. Seven, what did Pharaoh force the Hebrew slaves to make bricks without? Straw, right? Just like the three little pigs. They're not linked. Number eight, what was the area where the Hebrews lived in Egypt called? This gentleman called it out earlier. Goshen. Okay? During the terrible plague of hail, it was accompanied by two other elements. What were they? Thunder and fire. Thunder and fire came with the hail. I don't know if you knew that. So it was hail, thunder, and fire all at the same time. Which, by the way, fire from the sky in the Bible means lightning. Okay? case anyone was wondering. Uh, all right, how old is the lamb for Passover? One year old. One year old, little baby, okay? Number 11, during Passover, how long were they not supposed to eat, or were they supposed to eat unleavened bread? Seven days, one week, okay? All right, what did Moses and Miriam do after they watched a whole bunch of people die? They sang a song, Right? <laughs> Yay, they're dead. It's a very weird story. That's, uh, there's a lot of things you could do. I'm not sure we should do that, but okay. Uh, how many miraculous signs were the physicians, uh, Pharaoh's magicians able to duplicate? Three. Ten plagues, they had the first three. You're going to find out why in this series, why it stopped at three. Okay? All right? From which direction did the wind blow? East. You had a one in four shot, 25% chance, all right? I'm not good with math, but I think that's right. All right, whose bones did Moses take? Joseph. We mentioned him earlier. He died like 430 years earlier. Those are some old bones, all right? How many days of leave did Moses ask for? Three. Three-day leave. Round, round trip would be six. They were supposed to go out one day, do their duty, and come back. Don't try to sneak in on me now. Three days. Uh, okay, what did Moses' wife Zipporah do to save from God killing Moses? Circumcise their son. The creepiest part about it is she threw the foreskin on his feet. Couldn't you have just handed it, like mailed it or something? Anyway, that's very gross. All right. 18, how many Hebrews marched out with Moses? <laughs> All of them. That's, a fair, that's a fair answer. That's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, I I'm not sure that's truly the case, but the Bible does say a figure. Anybody got a guess? 600,000 men plus women, children, and Egyptians. Did you know that Egyptians, a bunch of them went out too? They ended up being a problem later. 
side note. 600,000, we believe it's about 1.5 million people that they were moving around. That's a lot, okay? All right, let's stop here. Uh, does anyone have, in honesty, 18 right answers? No, of course you don't. 17, 16. You have 16 right answers? If you can count what? Lightning is fire. Yes, absolutely. Do you have 16 as well, sir? In the hat, holding your hand up. All right. Anybody else got 16? Something is wrong with these people. Do you have 16? Something's wrong with you as well. All right. Now it is three of you. We are coming down to a showdown. You all can play along, but of course, they've already showed us they are better than we are. You three in particular. Here we go. Write down the 10 plagues in order. The, th the 10 plagues in order. Everybody else gets to play as well, but it's for a consolation. The 10 plagues in order. Come on, let's see. We'll give them a little bit of do, 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 do. Okay? You're like, I thought I heard, I came to hear this guy teach. Well, that was your problem. Ten plagues in order. Thirty more seconds. And that is 30. Time is up. Here we go. On the honor system. Blood of the Nile, number one. Frogs, number two. Gnats, number three. Flies, number four. Livestock die, number five. Boils, number six. Hail, number seven. Locusts, number eight. Darkness, number nine. Death of the firstborn, number ten. Did anybody get all 10 right in order? You might have got all 10. Did anybody get nine? Anybody get eight? Anybody get seven? Seven. You got seven? All right. Anybody else? You got How many did you get? Did you get five? You remembered nine of them, but you couldn't. They weren't in order. How many did you get? I understand. I understand. You're under pressure. All right, here's what we're going to do. There's going to be a showdown between you and you, even though you already won. There's a showdown between you and you. All right, here we go. This game is rigged. This last question, you will not get right. All right, here we go. How many recorded face-to-face -face meetings did Moses have with Pharaoh? How many recorded meetings did Moses have with Pharaoh? And it's between 1 and 20. Pick a number. 10. Nine? 
The answer is 16. The gentleman right here wins a free shake. Woo! There you are. <clears throat> now, obviously, the whole point of this is that we're pretty familiar with a lot of facts. Uh, as much as I'm going to give you intriguing facts and stuff like that, the Bible is not an answer book or a fact book. The Bible is a transformation book. And what we need to do is we need to be able to interact with these stories and say, but what does it mean for me? Do you guys remember Jesus was in the New Testament walking on the road to Emmaus? They didn't know it was him. He starts talking with these two disciples, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe what's been going on. He's like, well, what's been going on? They're like, haven't you heard? And they start talking to him. And he's like, hold on a second. We knew that was always going to be how it was going to go with the Messiah. And they're like, what? And it says, in beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained everything, how it involved him. So I want to encourage you that as you are reading, that sometimes it's fun to have trivia. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. All I need you to always caution with is the Pharisees knew more trivia than the disciples. Just let that soak in. They're better at Bible knowledge than the disciples, and they didn't have Jesus. Never allow mere info, mere knowledge to suggest that you are spiritually mature. You are not. Just because you know things. Every Easter, turn on the television and you will see people talking about the historical Jesus. They'll have a whole bunch of scholars that do not believe in Jesus telling you facts about Jesus. Why? Because they've read literature, they've studied practical things. They do not have a personal relationship. If it, remember how Jesus kept saying, you read and you read and you're a master of it, but you don't even realize it's about me. May everything that we read in scripture, we put ourselves through that lens and we say, Lord, what do you want from me? Why is this in here? The Bible says all this stuff is recorded so we would be impacted, so we would know something. God is a God of revelation. We always think that God is a God of mystery. He's only a mystery because there's no way we can comprehend him. He's trying to get his point across. He's trying to tell his kids what's up. He's trying to help us understand him. He's not trying to remain hidden. He's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to be cryptic. He's sharing with us as much as we can handle. He wants you to know, but he wants you to know so that you would have eternal life. Amen? Amen. All right, well, let's, let's dive into this. I'm going to be doing some interactive stuff throughout the week, but I'm really going to be kind of hoping that you will share a little bit. I am not going to try to call on anybody that is uncomfortable. So if you're one of those, oh my goodness, he's looking at me, and you try to avoid your gaze, I will not call on you if I think you're uncomfortable in any way. So you never have to worry about that. But I think it's way more interesting if you're able to share this direction and I'm able to share this because we can own it. Amen? So as much as you can share, that'd be great. I am going, in our first couple times together, I'm going to be paraphrasing the Bible much more than reading it with you. Why? Five books, five messages, we are flying. If I tried to go through and read it all, we would be here forever. All right? You're already going to feel like we're here forever. But... We need to get through this. So here we go. We pick up our story where we left off this morning, and that is Moses is now 80 years old. His grandfather is dead, the one that wanted him dead. 
he can now go back home and the new Pharaoh on the throne does not care about him, does not care about family drama, does not care about any of this stuff. Moses is a nobody. And now it's time to go back home. But truly, this isn't about Moses, yes? Isn't that what we talked about this morning? It's about God. We hear this story, the story of the 10 plagues, the story of God getting his people out of Egypt, the story of crossing the Red Sea, but a lot of us keep thinking it has to do with Moses or that somehow it was God trying to get the Hebrews out. God doesn't need to try to do anything. He either does or he doesn't. There is no try, Yoda once said. Yoda's not in the Bible, in case you're wondering. I want you to write this down in your notes if you're a note taker. If God ever does extra stuff, it's for a purpose. If God ever does extra stuff, it's for a purpose. And this is what I'm drilling down to. God could have said, Pharaoh, these are not the droids you're looking for. He could have said, Pharaoh, you're going to let my people go. And, they and he would have said, uh, you guys can go. That's it. That was the whole story. Why all this drama? You got this massive sequence that people are being killed and cattle are being slaughtered and there's stuff flying through the sky. Why? It wasn't necessary. Ah. I'm writing a micro book series. You guys know what a micro book is? It's a baby book. It means nobody will read a full book anymore and so I'm trying to make smaller books. And so people can get through them very quickly and go, oh, look, I, I read a book. And I'm doing a whole series on the supernatural. It's called Understanding the Supernatural. Very self-explanatory. And one of those micro books is about healing. Understanding healing, a, a biblical examination, right? That's, that's basically what I'm doing. Now, I've done extensive study on healing. And here's what you'll find out if you do the same. Jesus is involved in healing in at least 21 stories in the New Testament. Four of the occurrences are mass healing references. For example, he's at Peter's house. It says tons of people came and all of them were healed. Okay, that's a, you have no idea how many people that is. That's a ton of people. We can't really count those because we don't have any details. All right? The rest are individual healings. Jesus uses six different methods to heal when recorded. Touching people, people touching him, vocal commands, acts of faith, stuff like that. But the most interesting part about all of that is sometimes Jesus just healed with a thought. You guys know any ideas about that? Give me an example. The centurion's servant. He comes up to Jesus and he's like, listen, my servant is dying and it's freaking me out and he's a really good guy. Jesus said, okay well, let me go to your house. He's like, yeah, 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 you don't need to do that. I understand what it's like to be a boss. I tell my people what to do. They always do it. All you got to do is say the word. Jesus is like, dang, <laughs> this centurion's legit. Like, nobody has faith like this guy. And he's like, it's done. That was it. Second story. Uh, blind Bartimaeus crying out. Oh, Jesus, heal me. I want to see, I want to see. And Jesus goes, okay. And he can see. Didn't touch him. Here's the point. It's already really impressive when God does stuff with a word. 
Because, I mean, that's kind of God's motif, yeah? I mean, he created the world with a word. And it says, and God spoke, and there was light. Is that correct? What is Jesus referred to in the book of John? The logos. What does logos mean in Greek? The word. So word is kind of his thing. So you would say, well, he has a creative emanating word, and you would say that Jesus is walking around, and he's making reality by speaking it into existence, and you're like, dang. Like, for example, do you guys remember how he got Lazarus up from the dead? After four days, this guy's been dead. How did he do it? Lazarus, get out here. That was it. Lazarus is out. Has to hop on out, because it says he was wrapped up, right? So he hops on out. That's impressive. But Jesus can do more than that. He can heal with a thought. What's the point? If Jesus can do that, then anything else he does is for a purpose. You guys tracking with me? If you read a story and he does a certain method, the method was part of the purpose. The most common example is what? The leper. Have you not heard this story a million times? There's a guy with leprosy, and he calls out, Lord, if you are willing, you would make me clean. Do you remember what Jesus did? He what? He touched him. Why? Because when you have leprosy and you call out to everyone else, they have to get out of your way. It is the most isolated existence. What is the one thing he longed for the most? Touch. You see, Jesus was healing at multiple levels. He was healing emotionally. He was healing spiritually. And a touch was part of that. You're like, oh, well, Jesus had to touch. Jesus didn't have to do anything. Whenever he does extra stuff, it's for a purpose, all right? Let's back out. God didn't need 10 plagues. God didn't need to do this big, long drama. He simply says, Moses, go get my children and come back and meet me. That's it. But there's a drama. Why? Because something bigger was going on. Amen? That's what we want to find out. God was doing something far bigger than trying to help his people escape a bad environment. I would suggest there are two key agendas God was working on. Number one, it was about getting his kids safe. And number two, one agenda for all of the Middle East and all of Africa. Two agendas he worked on. And that's why this happened. Here we go. We're going to dive into the story. Moses just met God personally at the burning bush. I shared that this morning. 40 years in Egypt away from his parents, 40 years with a Midianite priest. He didn't know anything about Yahweh. Burning bush hits. Oh, here we go. He even had to say, what's your name? I don't even know much about you, right? So that was his conversion experience in a sense. He was learning because what God wanted in his deliverer was for him to be all in relationally. He, didn't, he could have used him outside of that, but he loves to use someone that is on fire. He loves to use someone that is all in, that loves God more than anything else. Those are his favorite people to use because God wanted more than a one-hit wonder. He wanted a point man for Israel to be a leader to set them up for the rest of their existence. To do that, you need someone all in. They had to have a personal tie-in or it wasn't going to work. It's one thing to know what your people believe, your camp. It's one thing to know what your family believes. It's one thing to know what your parents believe. 
It's one thing to know what your friends believe. It's one thing to know what your church believes or what your pastor believes, but it's a whole other thing when it's what you believe. You guys, an awful lot of us are still living off other people's faith. You believe that God is good because you've been told, but you haven't experienced. You've been told that God can heal. You have not seen healing. There's an awful lot of reliant, and I'm not telling you that's wrong. Sometimes it's all we have. What I'm telling you is that if there's any way that we can engage, we have to engage. This is not about, oh, our people do this. I remember one time, uh, do you guys know, anybody here Armenian? Anybody from Armenian background? Okay, did you know that in Jerusalem, it's cut into four squares, four corners, uh, four quadrants, I should say. There's a Christian quadrant, a Jewish quadrant, and a Muslim quadrant, correct? You guys know what the fourth one is owned by? The Armenians. And you're like, what in the world? That's like so random. That's like, and then the Italians. And you're like, uh, why do they get their own section? The Armenians have a very, very long heritage of Christianity in the Middle East. So they have that. Here's what's interesting. If you meet somebody Armenian, ask them what their, what their faith is. They will tell you they are Christians. Why? Because they are nationally Christian. Same thing about America, right? What, 90% of people would say they believe in God and that they are uh, Christian if they're going to check a box because they're not Muslim. Oh, they're not Jewish. They're Christian. They check the box. Now, is everybody in America Christian? No. At what point is it going to be personal for you? Everything had to be personal with Moses. God can't, he, he can't just go in and go, I met a God, and everybody says he's legit, and he wants you to let us go. Because what God wanted was for him to know him well enough to walk in and go, my God said, let us go. It's a different message. Can you say that? Right? Once again, put yourselves through this strain, this filter, this searching. Are you able to own your faith? Every time somebody says, why are you a believer? Do you automatically turn and look at someone else for the answer? Why? Well, I'm not really good on my feet. I don't have the answer. Hold on. The only answer you have to have is your own story. And nobody knows your story like you know it. There is no better sermon than a personal testimony. And you know your story. Can you tell it? And I'm not saying articulately. Can you stumble through it? Is it yours? That's important. It matter, you write this down. It matters less when you fell in love, only that you are now. I know an awful lot of people that get really hung up on what was your moment of conversion? Those people irritate me. If those same people came up and said, at what point did you love your wife? I'm like, I don't know, yesterday? Does it matter? Or does it matter that I'm in love with my wife now? Yeah? Let's not get hung up on the religious piece. Let's get hung up on the relationship piece. Doesn't matter when, just now. So, if Moses wasn't overwhelmed and still listening to God, God laid out this whole story to him in advance. He said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and there eventually it's going to lead to the dying of the firstborn Egyptian. And Which, by the way, why did God kill the firstborn Egyptians? Anybody know? 
because Israel is God's firstborn. And it was a one for one. Let my firstborn go. I'll kill your firstborn until you let mine go. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if you knew that. Okay, so sure enough, Moses was so out of touch with God that that's why Zipporah had to circumcise his son. He probably circumcised Gershom, the first one, and he was circumcised because the Egyptians would circumcise. He was probably circumcised, but his second son probably was not. And Moses was like, I don't know, whatever, who cares? I'm not even really a Hebrew anymore. And God goes, oh yeah, you are. And before you get started on this plan, you gotta know me, you gotta take me seriously or I'll kill you right now and I'll start with somebody else. And Zipporah was like, ah! Circumcised his son. The son's like, what is going on? <laughs> right? Saves his life. All right. God can use a donkey, but he prefers to use a fully sold out Christian. Okay? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I remember when God used me. God can use a donkey, but he prefers to use a sold out Christian. So, the more we can get in, the better. All right, so we go back. Initially, it's positive. He goes back in. He actually meets with Aaron. Did you guys know this? They haven't been hanging out a whole lot. It's been 40 years since they've probably seen each other, and maybe they had a couple contacts. They had some emails, some texts, stuff like that. But he goes out, and he meets him, and he's like, hey, this is the plan. I need you with me. I need you as my right-hand man. Okay, cool. Well, let's go in, and let's talk to the elders, the elders of Israel. So they come in. It's under the radar. Everything's cool. And the elders are like, oh, my goodness, God heard our cry. And everything Moses said, he's like, I'm going to go in and ask for your freedom. And they're like, you go, boy. Everything's awesome until he has the meeting. He goes in, first confrontation with, Mo, with Pharaoh, did not go well. Hey, I need you to let us go out in the wilderness for three days. We'll be back, which I think is a really weird thing because I don't think he wanted to go back. You're like, well, is he lying? I don't know, maybe. So he says, I need you to let us go. Our God is going to get mad at us if we don't go. That was his argument. Now, was that true? No, I know he was lying about that part. Here's Pharaoh's response. Don't know you, don't know your God, no. That was it. He's like, oh, darn. The problem was it ticked Pharaoh off. And Pharaoh was like, why are we having this conversation? Who are you? Oh, shoot, you're a Hebrew. All right. You know what? While you're taking up time, here's the deal. You brought a bunch of elders with you. Now you're messing with my territory. You're messing with my economy. Do you understand these people are my economy? Don't mess with my economy. You know what? As a matter of fact, you're a distraction. So you know what? There's going to be a punishment on everybody so you don't get popular. Everybody, same quota. Keep building what you're building. No straw. You got to go find it. Meaning they had to pick up leftovers. They had to go find it anywhere they could, but they had the same quota. And the taskmasters start beating them. Well, immediately they hate Moses. What a terrible start to leadership. He comes in, they're like, yeah, and then all of a sudden everything falls apart, and they're like, no, and then they're like, we don't like this guy. We don't even want to be a part of you. Here's what's interesting. Did you think deliverance would be easy? Is it possible that all of us have bondage in our lives in different ways? Is it possible that we have this whole drama going on where we'll even say phrases like, I'd rather be a slave to this than out in the desert on my own. 
Is it possible that you have an addiction? Is it possible that you have some self-soothing technique? Is it possible that you have something in your life that you hang on to, you're in bondage to it, and then sometimes you get motivated in a church service and you're like, Lord, I want to be free. Did you think deliverance would be easy? It's not hard to get somebody away from the addiction. It's hard to get the addiction out of the person. Because wherever you go, you carry it with you. Yeah? So Moses turns on God. Isn't that always? It didn't go well, so he turns around. He's like, I told you I didn't want to go. I hate this whole thing. Why did you send me? It's all getting worse. Do you turn on God when bad things happen to you? Why is he our first blame? I think it's because we truly think that he could have fixed it. Or he could have made it better. And so you're like, well, if you have the power, you're the problem. But is that true? Why do we blame God? What if he is our only good? What if he is the only positive? What if we're getting mad and blaming God for our situation when he's your solution? Isn't that more likely? Why do we turn on God so quickly? It's interesting, God reminds and builds Moses' faith. He said, Moses, I know you're upset right now. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm Yahweh. I appeared to your forefathers. I told them I'd get them to the promised land, and I will. I know it's been brutal. Tell the people I saw you. It's been hard. 430 years. I get it. Encourage your people. I'm your deliverer. But Moses couldn't even hear the encouragement from God. Has there ever been a time when you're so mad at God, you're in a church service and can't hear anything? Is that possible? Yeah. Exodus 6, 9, it says, And the people did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. God couldn't, Moses couldn't hear God and the people couldn't hear Moses. Why? The hurt was bad. When you're really discouraged, it's hard to hear a sermon. Yeah? Especially when they say a pat answer. Then you want to punch them in the throat. Right? Don't minimize my pain. Moses is struggling with his own faith. People aren't listening to me. How in the world is Pharaoh going to listen to me? And God said, didn't I tell you the story? I'm going to keep hardening his heart. This is all according to plan, kiddo. He's like, all right, I'll try it again. From that moment forward, the miraculous takes center stage. And God said, all I need you to do, kid, is watch. Because now it's me versus them. That's pretty cool, yeah? And so here's how it begins. It's so much bigger than Egypt versus Hebrews. It's bigger than one nation against another. It's bigger than one people group against another. It is God's kingdom versus the enemy kingdom and the world's kingdom. Egypt was very religious, very, very, very superstitious. Any guess on how many gods and goddesses have been linked to Egypt throughout history? Quick guess. What do you got? Throw it out. 100. Way higher. Go. Anybody else? 1,500. Egypt has had 1,500 plus gods and goddesses in their history. That's a lot, you guys. They are highly, highly religious and superstitious. Pharaoh was seen as a supernatural god being. 
because of his uh, status. So everything was about God's. So what happens? God said, I'm going to take them out one by one. And he starts a war. And the only way he can keep taking them out is if he keeps hardening Pharaoh's heart and gets to take out another one. Then he hardens his heart and he takes out another one. He wanted to take out 10. How many times was he going to harden Pharaoh's heart? All the way through. Why? Because he was going to get his point across. It was already written in God's heart. Everyone's like, oh, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and how does that work and everything. God had a plan and he was going to play his plan. And sure enough, everyone's like, oh, well, I don't know if I believe in the supernatural. Hold up. By definition, everything God does is supernatural. If you are a Christian, you are supernatural. If you go, well, I don't really get into that weird stuff, too late. You're a Christian. You're weird. Everything about you is weird. You belong to an invisible God that you can't hear, and you don't think that's weird? Everyone's like, well, I'm really not into that uh, charismatic stuff. Oh, trust me, you're already a weird. It's just a level of weird, right? So here's what's interesting. If we want more God, it means we want more supernatural. You just have to think about that. If you want more God, you want more supernatural. What was the book of Job all about? Have you guys ever read the book of Job? It's so depressing. When you're down, you're like, yes. When you're in a good mood, you're like, I'm never reading that again. The book of Job was not about Job. It's ironic his name is on the title. It has very little to do with him. It was a showdown between God and Satan. Who started the whole issue? God. Have you considered my servant Job? God started it, right? Stirs up the pot, and then they go to war, and he's like, well, I'll attack him. The whole time, it was God humbling and embarrassing Satan. Because here was his whole point. Lucifer, you are my right-hand man. I've never made anybody as beautiful as you. Nobody's as smart as you. You are my backup guy. You are my defender. You are my right-hand bodyguard. You are my cherub extraordinaire. You were the curtain between me and creation. You held back my glory from destroying them, and you brought me their praise. You were amazing. You saw me in my fullness. What would you do? You walked away. You attacked me. You stabbed me in the back. If you considered my servant Job, he's never seen me. He's not totally sure I exist. But he's a good guy. Oh, yeah, the only reason he's a good guy is because you bless him. Oh, you're telling me he's in it for the stuff. All right, take his stuff away. Wham! Everything dies. Oh, well, sure, he's into you because you're always protecting him. You won't let me at him. What do you want to do? Well, I want to kill him. Well, you can't kill him. What else do you want to do? I'll tear him apart. Go for it. Boils all over his body, reduced to nothing, just this pile of mess. He goes, you done? Tell me what he's doing. I don't know. All he's doing is crying. Whose voice? Whose name? Yours. And that's my point. How embarrassing are you? He doesn't know me like he knew me. And he's willing in his full reduction to call my name. Let it be known. 
you are condemned. Let it be known that my children matter to me. Let it be known that they will always lift me up in a way that you never did. You think Job was about Job? It's never about Job. Have you ever chronicled Elijah's miracles in the book of Kings? All Elijah's miracles were one-on-one fights with the Canaanite god Baal. All the way down to the showdown. The showdown was the prophets of Baal, fire in the sky. Why was it fire in the sky? Anybody know why that was the test? Anyone where fire comes from? Because Baal rode the chariots of the clouds with a lightning bolt in his hand. He was lightning guy. And he's like, all right, let's go. Let's play a lightning game. That's your big thing. Let's do it. And he couldn't do it. And God goes, watch this. Wham! Throws down lightning. There we go. Guess who's the real God? Knocks him out. It's never about the individuals. It was an eternal showdown. It was a demonstration of the power of God. Why does this matter? Because I just need you to understand that we are caught up in something bigger than us. I know that our prayer lives demonstrate that everything's about us. The world revolves around us. And why would you do this to me, God? And what about me, God? And why is this happening? And what about my purpose? And what about my future? And what about... I know. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than me. So here it goes. The Nile was a god. Did you know that? And sure enough... Blood water turns it over, makes everything die. Now, it did not have to be literal blood. Everybody clear on that? It was supposed to look like blood, not be blood, because that's just sticky, right? The magicians duplicated it, just like they duplicated the snake thing. Everybody remember the snake thing? They was like, hey, take your staff and throw it down. And, and Aaron did that, and his became a snake. And then they threw theirs down, and they became snakes. And then Aaron's ate theirs. And it was just like this weird thing, right? The Nile blood, the magicians duplicated, wait seven days. But he shut down the Nile and said, is that your God? Oh, look, it's killing things. Second one, frogs. Is there Hopi and Hect are the two gods in Egypt that have heads of frogs. Oh, you got a frog god. Oh, you like froggies? Oh my gosh, look at them all. And they just start pouring into the land. And then all of a sudden he goes, you're dead. And they all die. He's like, oh, your gods aren't very good. That's embarrassing. All of a sudden, they duplicate it. All of a sudden it comes to the gnats, the gnats. He takes the dust and he throws it up and starts going and the magicians are like i'm out (laughs) like we don't make inanimate to animate we are not allowed to create we're out does that make sense all right why why mosquitoes because after all that disease coming in they had to realize it was the finger of god doing this god was creating life from nothing Flies everywhere but Goshen, gadflies that bite them, right? Then livestock die. Why? Because Apis, the god, had a bullhead. Isis, the cows were sacred to her. 
Hathor, the goddess woman, had a cow head, the goddess of motherhood, fertility, childbirth. Rams and geese were sacred to Ammon and Canum. All of that was happening. Seth, the god Seth's body, was all about uh, livestock. What happens? God goes, those your favorite gods? Oh, look, they're all dying everywhere. Boils, soot in the air. Ammon was the god of the air. Oh, now it's killing you. That's unfortunate. Hail, thunder, and lightning. Why? Why storms? Because Seth was a god of chaos, violence, deserts, and storms. Locusts. Why? Nepper is the Egyptian god of grain, and they came in and ruined all grain. Darkness. Why? Because their biggest gods were Ra, the god of the sun. And God said, I will shut you down anytime I want. And it goes all the way down to the final one that we all know about, right? Passover. If you don't let my people go, I'm going to kill your firstborn. Have you ever considered the fact that he said the firstborn of every household? He didn't say the firstborn baby. That means adults. Anyone firstborn. And livestock. Anyone not covered by what? The blood. And that is one of the most miraculous stories. It's been preached too much, but it's one of the most miraculous stories in the entire Bible. What they did is they were supposed to kill a one-year-old baby lamb and put its blood on the door frames of the house. And the angel of God came through and he said, I'm here to destroy, but when I see the blood, I will pass over your house and I'll move on to the next one. Why is that so important? Because Jesus bled on the cross, blood on the wood, and because of our sins being cleansed, God passes over us with his wrath. Are we all getting all those tie-ins? It's powerful, y'all. Why 10 plagues? God could have kept going. If they had hundreds and hundreds of deities, how long did he need to do it? Well, he cut it short. Why? Usually it's a combination, 10 matters in the Bible because it's a combination of seven and three. Three, the Trinity, seven, the number of fullness, the number of God. That's probably why. But here's what's interesting. Once God finishes making the point that he's the best God, the only God, the real God, he gets back to his kids and he says, guys, I'm going to take care of you now. They're like, yeah, well, we've been praying a lot and you weren't doing anything. He goes, but I'm here now. Did you know all prayer requests go through a three-part filter? Number one, is it best for God's glory and plan? Number two, is it best for us? And number three, is it the best timing? There is less discouragement and disappointment in our prayer lives when we want what God wants. But as long as we are on our agenda, we keep praying for stuff that is out of the will of God, and we keep getting frustrated and saying prayer doesn't matter. Prayer does matter. Bad prayer doesn't matter. So sure enough, God leads them out. I thought this was fascinating. He leads them out of Egypt, and it says he didn't go by the Philistine area because they would get scared and go back home. But here's what's so weird about it. Two things happen that are super funny. 
Number one, God said, hey, as you guys leave, I want you to ask all the Egyptians for stuff. You guys remember this? Hey, could I have your necklace? Like they're just asking for stuff. They're like, yes. Because they're all scared. The Egyptians are freaked out. And they're like, dude, I will give you anything you ask for. Just get out of my town, right? You guys are so weird. And all this death and chaos and it's so sad and all this. So people are like handing them all kind of stuff. Why? Because one of the indicators you win a war is you get plunder. That was them winning the war and getting plunder. Did they fight the Egyptians? They did not. Who did? God did. Here's what's so funny. He couldn't take them the route out through the Philistines because they were going to panic. But here's what the Bible also says. I don't know if you've ever put this together. It says they marched out dressed for war. You go, I don't understand. What's the point? They never fight. Why are they dressed up? Because it makes them feel better. <laughs> They're like, they have their little costumes on. And God's like, oh, you guys look so good. Look at you. Look at that. What you going to do with that? <laughs> You're a farmer, bro. You don't even know how to use that. Okay, whatever. Everybody got your costumes on? Let's go. Come on, kids. And they all march out, and they never fight a battle, and they have all this plunder. And God goes, boy, that went easy for you. And then he leads him another way. Why? Because Pharaoh freaks out, changes his mind, watch it. He's tracking. He's like, oh, they're stuck. And God's like, come here. Come on, come on. Get closer, get closer. And his army comes raging in, and God blocks them out with a cloud. Darkness over them. They're like trying to get organized. Meanwhile, it's all bright on the Israel side. And, they, and he said, extend the staff. The walls of water go back. The east wind blows dries it out, you got 1.5 million people to get across, especially the little ones. Come on, let's go, let's go. They got little herds. Everybody gets across. They get to the other side. The cloud dissipates. They start racing in. God strikes them with confusion, sticks their tires, and says, now. He puts his staff out. Wham! They all die. And Moses and Miriam sing a song of praise to God. That's how he did it. Why? Because there's a difference between rescue and deliverance. Rescue, he could have had them fight their way out, but then they have to deal with Egypt constantly pursuing. That's not deliverance. That's rescue. He created a scenario whereby he would decimate the enemy in such a significant way they wouldn't go after him again. That's freedom. And God went, that, my children, is how I win a war. You guys got good stuff? We got goodie bags. I know. What'd you do for it? I don't know. We were just like staring. I know. That was my fight. Are you okay now? Yeah, we're freaked out, but yeah. Okay. I'm going to have you gather over by this mountain. I have a few things we need to talk about. And that's where our story ends for today. <laughs> yeah. It's like nighttime story, right? Everyone uh, get your little blankie next time, and I'll tuck you in. You guys... All of God's 
plans look so messy. We can always think of a million ways he should have done it, he should have done it. I just need you to know this. He knows what he's doing. Your plan is cool. It's just not good enough. And what that means is it requires us to trust our God and believe that he knows how to do it. You guys, I have so many problems in my life. I got so many issues. And I am not cool with how God's currently handling the situation. And so what faith means is I know what is true and I'm going to hang on to it even though all my circumstances are pushing me away from it. Faith is not pretending. Faith is locking in on what is really real and refusing to be budged. That's faith. In my life, I trust the one who rescued me. I'm not happy about it, but I love him more than anything. He gets to make the call. Amen? Amen. Art, you're up.